Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. This week's podcast episode is proudly brought to you by Excel Moto, which is a one-stop shop for all things motorcycle. Whether you're looking for parts to service your bike, motorcycle jackets, and everything in between. This month, I've been testing out the XL Moto Vintage Backpack. It's usually 60 euros, but right now, and I honestly have no idea how much time it will be on this sale for, but it's 25 euros. 25 euros for a motorcycle-specific backpack, 100% cotton outer, beautiful vintage style. You just can't go wrong with that kind of price. So I'll leave a link for that exact bag in the written description of this podcast episode. Right, let me begin with the cost of living crisis. In fact, I'll just have a quick sip. Monica's kindly made me a Negroni, which is delicious and lethal. I'm actually, and this is sad, may actually be my final podcast episode from Tenerife because we're leaving in five days time. It's Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, 6.30. I'm looking outside through the balcony. It is glorious, just glorious weather, blue sky. I can see my Bonneville downstairs. I've got a ride with Monica actually tomorrow. We're heading off to meet a couple of friends and we'll probably Go for a nice little ride into the mountains, pack up the panniers, stop for a couple of coffees, a little bite to eat, just soak everything in for our last week here. And then in the evening, go to one of my absolute favourite things to do, go-karting. Oh, there's nothing more fun than go-karting. I keep thinking I'm, well, I said it last time, I'm, I'm an undiscovered talent, but I've yet to actually prove that on the racetrack, but tomorrow is another day, so I'll give it my best shot. Right, went completely off topic. Cost of living crisis. Uh, because of everything that's been going on, whether it be Brexit from a couple of years ago, or whether it be the, the COVID issues that have meant that all of the, the governments are desperately trying to recoup their money. How are they going to do that? Well, everything seems to be going up in price. So in order to try and help out the uh, normal everyday people, the UK government have started or are potentially considering, I just read this in the news, axing MOTs. So MOTs are the annual check that you have to do for all of your vehicles, whether it's a car or a motorcycle. Once a year, you take it down to a garage, the mechanics will check it over, it takes about half an hour. If it's dangerous in any way, it will fail. You have to rectify that issue. So the government are considering getting rid of that. Now, I'm not 100% sure if that's actually sensible. For one, it's nice to have a, a roadworthy vehicle. I mean, if you're anyone like me who's, who's not the best at maintaining their vehicles, the, the annual check is a very good way to force you to at least have a minimum level of quality for your vehicle. So I'm not sure that's a great idea. But one thing I do think is a good idea is in Tenerife. Tenerife, and I may have said this before, the government have very kindly given a 20 cents per litre discount on fuel. And this isn't some complicated thing that you have to go and sign up for or register for. No, you go and fill up 
And then once you get to the, the checkout lady, the cashier, whoever it is, they will immediately, without any hesitation or issue at all, automatically take off 20p per litre off your entire tank of fuel. It's brilliant. And I found out in Poland they're doing exactly the same. So the UK have decided not to do this and instead they're considering getting rid of MOTs. I mean, the problem with this is, for one, it could make vehicles, or it will make vehicles less roadworthy and potentially less safe. And of course, you're going to be putting the, the mechanics, the garages, potentially, if not out of business, then having significantly lower revenue. So someone still has to suffer. Whereas if you just, if you just take it, take it from the petrol, everyone wins instantly. Mm, let's see what happens with that. It'll be interesting. I'll let you know if I get any, any updates. Right, listen to this. This is a biker. I love this. I love stories like this. Just a biker from America, and he's been on a few adventures, but his vehicle of choice was a Honda Transalp. Kind of goes back to my video I did a few weeks ago on this glorious 1989 Transalp, you know, a utilitarian workhorse, and every man's and every woman's vehicle who everyone can aspire to use, and you can travel the world in it. Well, listen to this. Freddie, I just watched your Trans Out video. Well done. Thank you. It brought back many fond memories. In 1991, I bought a Honda NS or Honda NX 650 Dominator in Santiago, Chile. And I drove around Argentina, Peru, and I ended up in Quito, Ecuador. I had to go back to Canada for a short while, so I left the bike in Quito and flew home. Rather than fly back, I decided to buy another bike and drive south. I found a brand new 1989 Honda Trans up in Seattle, Washington, and drove it down to Quito on arrival I had two great bikes, but I decided to sell the Dominator and keep the Trans up. Just have a refreshment break. Oi. Okay, I continue. Near the end of my adventure, in 1993, I sold the bike to a traveller from Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, Des Moines, apologies for the pronunciation, who had just arrived looking for a Transalp. He drove it for two more years through South America and eventually sold it in Paraguay. Back in Canada, I bought a 1994 Transalp and rode it for years. I wish I still had it. I still keep in touch with the fellow who bought my first Transalp and he now rides a BMW GS800 around the US. I now live in Sonora, Mexico, and ride a KTM 790 Adventure, a Tenere 660, a WR250R, and a 1986 Honda CT110. I then replied to Bob, uh, and, and he kindly sent me a picture. And let me just get this picture up, and I will describe it to the best of my ability, because he sent a picture from his Honda Transalp, of his Honda Transalp in all of its glory in South America, right in the height of his adventures. And it sounds like his adventures went on for, Bob's adventures went on for three or four years or so. And just looking at this Transalp, all in white, absolutely filthy. The tyres filthy, the whole bottom third of it covered, covered in a, a watery mud. But on the back of it, 
No side panniers, just on the back. It's got, do you know, I was about to say it's got a sleeping bag. It's not a sleeping bag. I've only just realised after looking at this picture uh, for about 10 minutes yesterday. It's not a sleeping bag. It is a huge bunch of bananas. There must be about 150 bananas. So there is a, a small bag of all of Bob's belongings. And on top of that, there is a gigantic bunch of bananas just perched on top, bungee corded up to the back of this classic Generation 1 Honda Trans Up. And the reason I love this so much is because with these simple basic bikes, they open up a world of travel. I know I got overly enthusiastic last time I got the Honda Trans Up on test, but you know, you buy it. You travel all the way from North America to South America, all the way from Canada down to Santiago, down to Chile. And then you sell it to someone else who's going to do exactly the same thing. And then he will probably sell it to someone else who'll do the same thing. And these, these bikes, these utilitarian workhorses are so damn reliable. They go on forever and ever. It's brilliant. It was an interesting thing that Bob actually sold his Honda NX650 Dominator instead of selling the Trans Out, because the Dominator has become a ridiculously desirable bike and incredibly difficult to get hold of. I had a look at some of these. Honda Dominators, they are hot property. I couldn't find any on Autotrader in the UK. And even on eBay, the only Honda Dominator I could find is, is one. There is only one. I'm just checking now. There's only there's only one Honda Dominator. There's one that's been modified beyond any recognition. So I'll leave that. I'll look for the only one that looks like you'd expect a Honda Dominator to look. It's, it's actually cheaper than I thought it would be. It's two and a half thousand pounds. In fact, as I speak to you, I will just, I'm grabbing my microphone grabbing the laptop and I'll go through to the other room because I've just lost the internet but I'm looking at a picture of it now it's two and a half thousand pounds for this dominator and I'm amazed that you can actually get one this cheap because I was thinking for such just unplugging that and plug it into the living room wall socket I was thinking for such a desirable bike you would need to be paying something like double the price that it's actually for sale for. So for two and a half thousand pounds, I have found what looks like a completely original Honda Dominator with that classic Dominator writing on the side that looks like it's from the first Terminator film. So, so gloriously 1980s. Oh, I'll just get my wire that's almost hung up. Oh, I've got Monica next to me laughing away at me, desperately struggling here. Okay, let's put that there and there. Okay, now let's get back to it. Right, okay, the Dominator. But if you're looking for Dominator, hugely desirable, hugely modifiable, very, very big in the custom scene, go and check out eBay because there is actually one available for two and a half K. Uh, have a listen to this. Honda Dominator, Supermoto, Big Bore Kit, Race Cam, CB600 wheels and brakes. I've owned this since 1998. Get it out of the shed every year and clean it up. Normally put a new battery on it because I forgot to keep it charged and take it for an MOT in my van. So I haven't actually ridden it for 10 years plus. Thank you, Monica's just passed me my Negroni. Oh, delicious. Thank you, Monica. 
And I've just kicked Monica's oh, water, water mug out. There we go. Um, but this, this is a genuine seller here. I really like buying from a private seller who's clearly got a passion for his bike. Hasn't ridden it in 10 years. That's a great opportunity. I'll keep that link open and put it in the written description because that, that will be a bike that someone snaps up. Okay, I'll move on. Uh, right. I was looking at Jeep Wranglers and, and Land Rover Defender 110s. Uh, about a week ago, I was having lunch and, and I just shared it on YouTube that I am keen on it because you can get these brilliant looking motorcycle ramps where it's attached to the back of a 4x4 and you actually ride your bike onto the back of this ramp very easily. You can do it, one person can do it. It looks brilliant and it means it negates the need for a trailer. So you get rid of the whole need to have a trailer. These ramps that I was looking at, I think they're around about a thousand pounds or something like that. But they look especially good on the Land Rover Defenders and the Jeep Wranglers. So I was doing a bit of auto tradering, a bit of eBaying to have a look and see how much the prices were. Because I'll, I'll give you a bit of insight. Five years ago, I was, and you may call me an idiot for this because it's irresponsible, but five years ago, I was very, very keen on buying a 2009 Jeep Wrangler. I had actually taken out, done all the paperwork, and this is so stupid even hearing myself talking about it, taken out uh, all the paperwork, filled it out, signed it to actually remortgage my flat in order to get a loan for a Jeep Wrangler. I then got sent all the paperwork by NatWest to do the final signatures, and I had a final absolute last minute freak out after finding the jeep i wanted talking to the owner had a last minute freak out ripped up all the paperwork and i realized i was overstretching myself but my point is five years ago it's a 2009 jeep wrangler it was 10,900 pounds it was very good condition now the exact same year jeep wrangler same condition same mileage same year 13,000 pounds so five years on these have gone up £2,000. The, the used vehicle prices, it's, it's almost insane, insane how much everything is going up at the moment. I mean, I thought these would be going down in value because they're old diesels. Completely the opposite. So, Nick sent me a word of warning. Have a listen. Dear Freddy, just watching your most recent video, just in case my comment below wasn't visible, I'll say it again. Do not buy a Jeep Wrangler. It will drain your money. On tour at below 60 miles an hour, you'll get 22 miles per gallon. Around town, you'll get 14 miles per gallon. I had one for 10 years. I only did around 30,000 miles, but I had a rear axle issue and my gearbox went. It rusted horribly. Just get a Land Rover diesel instead. I'd also like one. That has actually genuinely freaked me out when I read that. I mean, Land Rover Defenders, they are not known for their reliability either, but it sounds like the Wranglers, at the very least, are on the same level. So, yes, I am... Uh, I'm, yeah, Nick, I'm suitably freaked out by that, so... All 4x4s, whatever it is, they will all be significantly more money than a simple Fiat 500 to maintain. But it does sound like the Wranglers and the Land Rovers could end up bankrupting me. So I'll have to think closely. Okay, this, this I wanted to get to because this is very interesting. 
How important is, is customer satisfaction? How important is the way that motorcycle dealerships treat, treat their customers? It is, it is just so important and it always amazes me how many motorcycle dealerships, how many motorcycle organisations just spend so much time in research and development and building incredible machines and investing in the technologies, the, the actual building of those machines, the factories. Yet the very last phase, the most important phase to actually market and sell the culmination of all of this work they completely neglect. You know, I look at Moto Guzzi that I often rip into about the way that they, they treat their customers. You know, they don't bother replying to emails. Their attitude is, oh, you're lucky to be able to buy a Moto Guzzi. You should feel privileged to buy it. And it sounds like Triumph is just as bad over in the US. Right, I'm going to read this email that I've just got. Um, Freddie, I'm keeping an eye on the beautiful new 2022 Harley-Davidson Lowrider ST in black. Uh, and how about the new 2022 Harley-Davidson Nightster? Harley-Davidson dealer here indicated a new smaller displacement. 975 Pan America is coming soon, aka a Triumph Tiger match. See, this is really interesting. Firstly, the Harley-Davidson Nightster. I've seen this only in pictures, but it's a 975cc, so it's under 1,000cc. It's, you know, this is going to... Now that the Harley Sportster's gone, th this will fill that gap very, very nicely. The Nightster, the 975cc Nightster, because before I know you had... I've forgotten the name, but Harley had a 750cc bike. I never quite got on with the looks of that. But this is a better looking bike, this 975 Nightster. I will admit, from the front and from some angles, I really do think that it looks very, very like the Honda Rebel. And possibly Harley-Davidson are, are almost going, you know, they are going a little bit towards an almost Japanese looking bike. I showed the pic of the bike to Monica. And Monica, who I'm sure she, she won't mind me saying, has an untrained eye with motorcycles. So to the untrained eye, she's staring daggers at me. To the untrained eye, Monica thought the Harley-Davidson Nightster was the Honda Rebel. It was only after me explaining many times that it actually wasn't the Honda Rebel. It was the brand new Harley-Davidson. You know, Harley-Davidson, it's true, not necessarily a bad thing, but they are moving away from that classic styling. Um, and it's much, much more futuristic. So the Nightster... You know, it's it's fairly Honda Rebel-esque, actually. A, a lot of people, to the untrained eye, it's, it's incredibly similar to the Honda Rebel. Possibly a bit, a bit too much, I don't know. I need to see one in the flesh to make my judgment. But also a Honda, I was about to say a Honda Pan America. Also a 975cc Pan America may be coming. That would be very interesting as well. I personally prefer the slightly smaller engined uh, touring touring adventure bikes because they're a little bit more chuckable so I'll be very interested to hear about that um, and I'm just carrying on here with the email FYI post February 2021 the tiger purchase uh, yada yada okay here we go this is about 
customer relations and how Triumph have been treating this American biker, this American biker who's got a Triumph Tiger. And I'm in constant contact um, with, with this American biker with regards to how things are going with Triumph and Harley Davidson. And this is really interesting. Freddie, while my review of the bike um, is positive, three times now I've communicated to Triumph that... Um, I was never allowed to test ride the bike and it's a big shame and it's a big factor in in me deciding if I should keep the Triumph or if I should potentially sell or indeed if I should ever have bought it. I have received zero response from Triumph to date which helps me in trading in my Tiger for a new Harley Davidson next year. Freddie, their dealer network here, i.e. Triumph's dealer network, is tiny. Thus, I'd, uh, I'd thought Triumph may actually want to help out um, with a cash purchase Triumph customer. I guess not. You know, I hear a decent chunk of Americans saying that the Triumph dealership and and their after-sales experience, the dealership experience in general, is not up to standard. So I really hope that changes because from what I hear in the UK, although I've never bought a new Triumph, it's pretty good. But it sounds like in the US they, they do need to step it up. Amazing to think, considering the size of the US market, they're not bending over backwards to do all they can for them. Okay, I've got a story now. This is a bit of a long one, so I'll just grab a drink. This is one more. An English biker and his story about getting into biking. I had to share it because it's quite long, but the last paragraph is just so brilliant, and I'm sure so many people will, will be able to relate to this because... All of these little stories, whether it's about getting into biking or getting into cars, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. You know, we've all got these amazing memories, you know, petrol heads when you start out your journey, you know, even from the age of 14 or 15, just getting into it. And then you save up all your money and you manage to finally go out and buy it. And all of those ridiculous experiences with friends around and, you know, it's just... I remember them so vividly. I was a car guy when I was younger, but every single car I had, every adventure I had, it's ingrained in my mind and it will be for the rest of my life. And I love this one because I can relate so clearly. So, okay, have a listen to this. Freddie. My obsession with motorcycles started when I was 12. My best friend at the time said to me, right, Chris, we're going to London Earl's Court to the motorcycle show. But being only 12 years old, uh, I said that I was staying at his and he said that he was staying at my house. So with the plan hatched, we went off, bunked the tube, as you do as you're 12, <laughs> as you do as a 12 year old with very little money. Um, we just did not have enough money to get in. When I got in, I could not believe my eyes. There were Japanese, there was Japanese chrome everywhere and I was absolutely spellbound by it. In those days, at the age of 16, you could only have a 50cc and that was the limit up until the age of 17 when you're allowed a 250cc. So my next plan was how do I get my first ride? So I had to get a job and started to save. My parents weren't keen on the idea and neither actually drove. So they didn't understand the point in motorcycles and banned me from working until I was 13. 
thinking I'd lose interest. They thought I'd lose interest, but this only made me more intent to get my first ride. So I got my first job in a shop putting studs in coats, but I was sacked by lunchtime. However, I never, I have a never give up attitude and my next job was working in a man's club or was in a working man's club, being a bottle collector and a glass washer on Sunday lunchtime. Many times I came out worst for wear um, till I was 14 years old and I managed to save up enough from this job for a ratty old FS, i.e. DX. I was on the hunt for one of these bikes and I found one just four miles away from where I lived. I talked uh, and uh, four miles from where I lived and I talked one of my mates into coming along with me as he... Uh, as he was knowledgeable about these bikes, although he had still never ridden before. So we had no clue, but we set off, uh, had a look at the bike. It was red, had dents in the tank, bent forks, not a good condition bike, but it was done, the deal, £90. And he said that the, the fella in the next estate had a set of straight forks that he would give for fiver, for a fiver. So he bought the bike for £90. So I'm kind of semi-reading here because uh, it's in a few different paragraphs. But bought the bike for £90, was given a tip-off that for a, an extra £5, he'd be able to buy some straight forks from a neighbour just around the corner. So went to pick up the straight forks from the neighbour around the corner. Now the bike had been able to get pushed home by... I believe it's Chris. Let's have a look. It had been pushed home by Chris and his friend because it couldn't actually be ridden with the bent forks. Chris had now achieved his first life goal at the age of 14 or just before his 14th birthday. So the bike was parked up at his parents in the back garden under a tarp until he could get someone to fit the shiny new forks. I continue. Eventually, I got someone who knew about motorcycles to put the forks on. I was the talk of my secondary school and I acquired a lot of older friends because of the motorcycle. A good idea to start riding as, as it was a leapfrog to, for me to be the coolest kid in town and by association for my friend to also be cool. Um, so we had another plan hatched that, and the day had come that he, my friend convinced me that he was the best person to train me, though the only thing that he had ridden was a skateboard. So we pulled uh, my fizzy out from under the tarp and he gave me instructions. Listen to this. So my friend who had never ridden before gave me instructions to pin the throttle and dump the clutch. They were his words of advice uh, and thinking afterwards, it was not good advice to take from a complete novice. So anyway, I did what he said and I went tearing down my garden towards my mother, who was sunbathing at the time in her bikini on a sun lounger. I couldn't avoid her, and I caught her bikini top with my brake lever, and I completely ripped it from her chest with, with her top now wrapped around the throttle. I carried on down the garden until I came into contact with one of my father's apple trees, and that was the first attempt at coolness I could, uh, I could hear my mother screaming at me, but even louder was my mate laughing. 
My mother told me, my mate, you better go home. You will not want to be here when my father gets home. I could hear Colin laughing two turnings away. Uh, and when the bike went back under the tarp with a badly bent forks and broken clutch lever, it stayed there for quite some time. I sneaked it out from time to time to do a little bit of off-roading without the instruction from Colin, my friend. So the big day came, my 16th birthday, uh, and my adult freedom, I rode the fizzy from 5am until it was dark at 9pm. I returned home absolutely shattered, but I still remember that day like it was yesterday, even though it was over 40 years ago. Regards, Chris. That's an amazing story. Just, and to remember that, 40 years on after it happened, I'm, I've just got the best vision in my mind. It's those glorious carefree years, it's so amazing. And also, on this beautiful Saturday, Chris, who sent me that brilliant story, where's he off to today? He's off on a bike ride to make the most of the weather. See, the passion never dies. It is brilliant. Okay, I wanted to get on to one final thing, just to end it. Bike of the day, and this is from John in Scotland. John sent me a brilliant tip off. Um, Basically, I know, to the best of my knowledge, if I remember, John has got an American muscle car and a Triumph Rocket, the Beast, the 2.3 litre. And he's looking for one more bike to add to the garage. John sent me over the fact that he's looking at a 1980s Yamaha VMAX. Um, I, th I thought, John, come on, VMAX. I mean, uh, I was thinking that this, this cannot be affordable. 1980s VMAX, these are highly desirable bikes. So I was thinking... Initially, I was thinking that this is something quite affordable. But when John said it's a mid-1980s VMAX, I thought, oh, well, that's, that's complete classic. You know, I know that the 2007-ish model, that's, that's a next sure thing to be a classic. But, but surely the 1980s models, I mean, they must be 8K now or something like that, I thought to myself. But I had a look because I've always had an eye on these bikes. 1980s, uh, and there aren't many of them. But I found completely legit, this is from a dealer, a 1985, which funnily enough is the year I was born. So it's got a bit of extra weight to it with me. I'd love to have a bike from the year I was born. There is absolutely legit a 1200cc Yamaha V-Max, 27,000 miles on the clock, two owners from new, and it's being sold, very interesting here, being sold actually in a, a showroom that sells cars as well. So they may not be a motorcycle specialist. So you may even be able to get a bit of a better deal here. Bikes covered 50 miles in the past four years. And it's £3,500. £3,495 for a 36, 37-year-old motorcycle. That's a complete classic. It looks incredible. Amazing condition. 1,200cc monster. These, these were game-changing bikes. They never sold in big numbers. The surest fire thing to being a future classic, this. I mean, it really is a classic. Anyway, it's not future classic. This is a classic for three and a half grand. I can't even get my head around it. I'll include a link. Someone grab that. Swipe it up. It will not be around for long. Right, I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much to XL Moto to sponsoring for sponsoring this week's episode go and check them out if you're looking for anything motorcycling related for the now present summer biking season thank you so much everyone for listening to this week's episode and i will speak to you in the next one